that was, first of all, that was beautiful. Thank you so much for that lovely meditation. That truly was um, bringing, I felt anyways, deep, deep into consciousness. So thank you for that. And for the joy of that song as well, Spencer, thank you. And thank you all again for this beautiful gift and opportunity and blessing to be here with you all once again. Um, many of you, most of you here I know know my story already. I'm not going to get into a lot of detail. Um, you do know some things about me, but perhaps not the whole story. And so what I am here to do today is reveal a little bit more <laughs> of the surface story that you may know with the intention and the hope that the story and this journey serves you in your personal journeys as well, wherever that journey may find you. Now, um, I was born in Canada. I actually lived most of my life in Canada, but as a child, I actually lived in Lebanon. My parents are Lebanese. But it's the details of that gap in Lebanon that I'd like to share with you because it actually formed who I became as an adult. Now, when I was about a year old, my mother developed a very rare eye condition that no doctor could diagnose. So she had gone from being a healthy, vital woman of 21, 22, to all of us newly married, she'd just gotten married, and all of a sudden being unable to see. Her vision would fade and it would come back, and no doctor could explain what was happening to her. We were living in Hull, actually, and she would travel. they were traveling, my dad and her, from doctor to doctor in the entire area, trying to find someone who would diagnose it. As I said, I was a year old at the time, just over a year old, maybe 14 months old. And such was their distress and their anxiety and their angst with my mom, with a newborn, trying to deal with all of her loss of vision, and my father, a new immigrant also in this country, working 18-hour days, trying to move his family forward, that they decided to make a fateful decision. They decided that it would be best if they sent their firstborn to go live with her grandparents in Lebanon, in the village of one or two hundred people where my father came from. So I was bundled up and with an uncle, a family member, taken across the ocean, taken from my family, my home, the love that I knew, and taken to live essentially with complete strangers who I didn't know. Now, this story, I knew nothing about. I have no recollection of this story. I have no memories of that time. I only found out about this in my 20s in random conversations that my mom and dad and other people were having. It's like, wait, wait a second. <laughs> um, I wasn't always here. I, I didn't know this part of my life. This gap seemed, I didn't know about this. And so little by little, I started to piece the story together, and nobody really wanted to delve into the whys. I understood the whys, obviously, at a superficial level, the whys. But nobody really wanted to go deep into the emotions and the feelings of it. And so... I learned that when I was in Lebanon, I arrived there as a 14-month-old infant, 
that obviously I was inconsolable. <laughs> I was crying all the time. I wouldn't eat. Um, I was very distant, very nervous, very skittish around people, just crying. But that eventually, with the love of my grandparents, who are my father's parents, with their love and the village, I literally was raised by a village in this case, the village that gathered around me because I was the firstborn child of the first son. So that, you know, in, Arab, in the Arab world, this is a very, you know, big deal. Um, I wasn't a boy, but I was still very loved. And it was their love that eventually brought me out of my shell and saw me becoming a little bit more of an open, more happy child. Now, I'm sure that my parents at that time were trying to also contact me because this is the late 1960s. You know, it was 1967 at that time. So 1967, uh, you sent a letter to a village in Lebanon. It probably took months to arrive. Phone calls. Well, you may have had a phone in your house in Canada, but in Lebanon, you had to go to a central office. When you received the call, somebody ran to your house, told you, hey, there's a phone call, and you had to run up and actually take the call. So it was a little bit more difficult. But I'm sure that my parents tried to contact me. But again, I have no recollection of that. At the age of four, so fast forward a couple of years, my parents come to Lebanon to see me. And they bring with them my two-year-old sister and my one-year-old brother. Okay? Now, to me, these people are complete strangers. They want to hug me, they want to hold me, they want to be all over me, but I'm like, I don't know who you are. And I'm running away from them, and I'm hiding behind the long skirts of my grandmother. You know, she's the typical, you know, old grandmother, long skirt, little thing around her, little scarf around her head. She was like that. And I wouldn't go anywhere near them. And I'm sure that must have hurt them a great deal. But then they also saw the kind of child I was becoming. I was essentially a spoiled child that had the run of the roost, okay? There was a story told that I had a fit, a tantrum, in the middle of the night, one night, and insisted that I needed candy at one or two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and that my grandfather, being the loving man that he was, actually went, woke up, got up, went to the grocery store, which my family owned. He opened the grocery store, brought me some candy, and brought it to me at home. So I'm sure my parents saw this, <laughs> and seeing that, you know, this is a, a spoiled child who is just, you know, not, this is not growing into a healthy <laughs> adult, and seeing that potentially they were losing their child, or potentially had lost their child, that they made another decision. They decided this time they were going to take me away once again and bring me back to Canada. So once again... I was to leave the family, the home, the security, the love that I knew and go with total strangers to live with them here in Canada. Now, again, I have no recollection of this, but I can well imagine the trauma <laughs> that this must have caused that little child um, who was now once again living in these uncertain situations. And what would it instill? I can imagine what it instilled in this child which formed the adult that I would become, that the world is not a safe place, number one. I'm obviously not important. I'm obviously somebody that you can just move around at will, and what I have to say, what I, what I want, doesn't really matter. That the people who say they love you, well, you can't trust the people who say they love you because they can send you away at a moment's notice. You can't even trust in love 
Because love, even though they say they love, love will also hurt you as well. So you have to put up a barrier to protect yourself at all times because love is not something that's positive. Love is hurtful. And finally, probably the biggest thing which I, I most resonated with was, well, if you love me that much, well, how could you send me away? You said, you said you couldn't take care of me, but yet you had two more children while you were away. So how could you possibly love me? So obviously there must be something wrong with me. Obviously I'm not lovable enough. I'm not good enough. And so if I, need, if I am to receive love or get love, I'm going to have to be good. I'm going to have to be the kid that does everything right so that I will receive love. This is what formed the child. Because as a child, I was actually very timid. I was always very timid, very quiet. I hardly really spoke or spoke out my mind because obviously I was afraid that the words that you say might offend somebody and that they will send you away. Definitely a people pleaser, definitely somebody who had no confidence, always concerned about what other people are going to say, always attentive to what's going on around me so that I could respond in a good way so that I wouldn't be sent away or rejected in any way. So this was the child that was forming. Added to that, in my early teens, I was molested by someone who was close to the family, which completely skewed even more my ideas of what love is and reinforced this idea within me that obviously I'm not somebody who's, who's lovable. And when I married, obviously it would come as no surprise, I would marry somebody who would be the first person to really pay me love and give me love and affection and pay me, give me good attention. So I would marry the first person who did that, and he also left for another woman. So by my early 20s, I had, it became a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? I was somebody who had not felt I wasn't worthy of any kind of love, and there you go, my life revealed that I was not worthy of any kind of love. Which begs the question, where in the heck is the gift in all of this? <laughs> where is the blessing and the goodness and the positive in all of this? <laughs> and um, I've reflected on this, obviously, over the years. And, you know, healing and transformation doesn't happen all at once. I really feel, well, for me anyways, it happens in fits and starts. There is, you know, in bouts. You move forward and then there's something that pulls you away. You make progress and then you're off the path again. But over time, and for the last 25, 30 years, I have made progress and I have moved forward and made my peace with the characters of my life who have caused me this pain. And I had really thought I had dealt with all of this until a couple of months ago when our good friend here, Roxanne, said to me, would you like to do a talk on the energy of money? Do you remember this? A couple of months ago, this was all around money. And she said to me, well, you know, read the book, have a few thoughts and give a few talks. I said, okay. Well, part of that work involves you going into your childhood. And so once again, I thought, I dealt with all this stuff, but all righty, let's kind of, let's do the work and let's go back into that childhood again. But this time with the intention of saying, listen, if there's anything within me that I still have not made peace with, I'm ready to move forward from that, do any work that's needed to liberate myself and to liberate all of those energies within me. And one morning, 
I was just you know, lying in bed, I was doing my meditation and I was reflecting on all of this. I'm saying, okay, I'm ready and I'm willing to see and to hear whatever needs to be revealed at this moment so that I may, with love and grace, move on and, let it, and liberate it. And Alberto was in the next room. He was working away and then he says, I'm meditating, he says, hey, I just remembered a dream that I had. I wanna tell you about it. And my first reaction was like, no, 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 I'm meditating. <laughs> But then I felt something saying, no, listen, just in case there's something there. So I said, yeah, come on, t tell, me, tell me what it is. So he comes in and he says, you know, in this dream, you and I were running away from this vicious dog. It was running after us. He goes, I don't know why it was coming after us, but it was like a rabid, vicious dog. And we were running. He goes, you were terrified. He goes, I was scared too. But you, you were terrified. And he goes, at one point, I stopped us. I pushed you behind me and I stood in front of the dog to fend it off. And I said to you, Moni, make yourself invisible so it won't hurt you. Those were his words. And in that moment, it was like, click. <laughs> of course, of course. Make yourself invisible. Make yourself so small so that all of the vicious forces of your life that have hurt you can't hurt you. They can't see you if you're so small. Make yourself invisible. Excuse me. Make yourself invisible. But while you're making yourself invisible, there is still a part of you that's saying, see me. I'm here. See me. Love me. Acknowledge me. I am here. And I understood in that moment with Alberto, it was, you know, sometimes things come so quickly, the understanding and the knowing comes, and then you have to use your mind to interpret everything around it. And I knew that although here the physical Moni was saying, see me, love me, the bigger Moni, the Moni that is eternal, that part of her that is forever, is saying, I already see you, I already love you, I'm already holding you, I'm already here, you're safe. I was looking in the wrong place to be seen and to be acknowledged. I was already seen and loved and held. I just wasn't aware of it until that moment he said, be invisible. And I understood in that moment that the journey, the journey is the best analogy I can use is like a candle. That candle. And the analogy was be and the journey of merging or melding away, melting away what is Moni. Call it ego, call it physical presence, thoughts, ideas, it doesn't matter. Meld that into the higher Moni, into that Moni that is eternal, the Moni that has all the answers, that has all the wisdom, that has the perspective that Moni here doesn't have that has all the power, that has all the love. Like a candle, use that light. That's the light that you are. And allow that light to melt everything else that doesn't serve the Moni on this journey. That was the analogy. That was the image that was given to me of let that light just melt everything away and allow that light to stand in you as you. And it was very powerful. It was a very powerful moment of just simply Understanding, I get it. This is the only thing we need to do, is that. Now, 
it brought into context and I understood better the meaning of my life with that. I, of course, I believe that we come here with intention. There's nothing random in our life. I do believe in sacred contracts. I do believe in before coming into this physical world that there are um, beloved brothers and sisters of the light who are wanting to make this journey with me. And knowing me, I think I probably insisted and I said, I want you to play these roles. I need you to play these roles for me as my tormentors, as my vicious dogs. I need you to do this so that I may have the experience. I may have the experience of being invisible and being small so that I can rise from that. I need you to have given me this experience of betrayal and rejection so that I look for the source of true love. I need you to give me this experience of being completely insecure and not knowing what's going to happen next so I can also seek the source of what is true security, where is my true home. This is what I need you to do for me. Of course, you forget all this when you're here. <laughs> but I really do believe that we, there's nothing random and that we do come with that intention and that I need you to help me feel disempowered, completely disempowered, so that I could rise into my full power and claim that. I believe that's the journey of the soul. That's what we're here to do. These experiences that help us continue to grow. And I think at the level of the spirit, at the level of the greatness and the grandness, from that perspective of that greater me, that greater you, there's always the invitation. There's always that presence, I feel, saying, can you, can you, despite all of your traumas and your difficulties and the hurts, can you still choose compassion and forgiveness and love for yourself first and for others? Because this is, this is what spirit is looking for. It's looking to experience the complete opposite, I feel, so that you can choose that anyways. Can you, in your darkness, seek that light, seek that flame? Can you seek it? Can you find it? Can you embrace it? Can you use it to melt away all of the hurt and all of the pain of where you are? Can you see your greatness? Can you see your perfection, no matter what your outer eyes are showing to you? And can you, I think, ultimately see your oneness, your oneness with spirit, because it is always there. It's always in you. This, has been, this for me is the journey. This for me is what it's about. The difficult relationships, when you look at them through that lens of spirit, when you're able to look at them as your soul's opportunity to truly grow into its greatness and to be that light, that shines so brilliantly in the world, this to me is what gives me a sense of peace, what gives me a sense of knowing that, yeah, this is for me, like homework, to work through it and find the way to choose love, to choose light, no matter how difficult, in every moment. So I hope my story and this experience has served you in your journeys, and I thank you again for the opportunity to share a piece of my life and my journey with you all. Thank you.